This is an European Public Service Union podcast. Hello and welcome to the first edition of the EPSU podcast. I am Boyan Stanislavski. Today with me is the co-host of the program, Pablo Sanchez. Hello, Pablo. Hello. And our special guest, Eve Livingston. She is with us today. She's an award-winning freelance journalist and writer based in the United Kingdom who focuses on social issues, labor relations, politics, and inequalities. She has written for The Guardian, The Independent, Days, Vice, and Open Democracy, among many other publications. Her new book, Make Bosses Pay, will be released in September. Welcome to the program, Eve. Hi, thank you for having me. Right, and let's start uh, with your book, with this intriguing uh, title. Tell us, please, about it. When is it exactly, uh, when is it going to come out? Where is it going to be available? And most of all, what's in it? (laughs) Um, Yeah, thank you. So the book is um, being published with Pluto Press in the UK, um, although it will be available more widely than that. Um, I'm not sure specifically all the countries, but I think most places you'll be able to get it. Um, It comes out on September the 20th and essentially it is about um, the labour movement and young workers. So it has a particular focus on the UK because that's where I am and that's what I know about. But I think that some of the kind of lessons and bigger picture ideas in it will be relevant um, more widely, I hope. Um, And there are also case studies from, from around the world as well. Um, essentially the book's trying to do two things it's trying to say one to young workers that unions are a place that they should be it's where they should be putting their kind of political energy um, and you know that, that they still remain kind of the most important vehicle for for ordinary people to have control over their lives um, but the other half of that is is that unions I think do need to change and they do need to adapt Um, to meet the kind of changing world of work and the needs of young workers. So the book tries to do both of those things. It tries to make the case to young workers that they need to be in there changing things from the inside um, and the case to unions that they need to be, um, you know, accepting of that that work and kind of um, willing to, to change and adapt. You've basically your book uh, t- tells us stories and, and you talk about the problems of organizing in in the new economy or the gig economy as it's called and in places where the labor movement has been generally weak so can you tell us a bit more uh, uh, why is it difficult to organize among the precarious uh, why this the, the the rate of young members is low in many or most trade unions and what's your experience in that in that sense yeah i mean i think there are quite a lot of different things going on there um First, in terms of the kind of big picture, I think that, um, and kind of speaking from a, a UK context um, where I have experience of, I think that a lot of unions just aren't in the workplaces that young workers are in. So as you mentioned, precarious workplaces, but also I think um, the, the UK economy has just changed um, dramatically, you know, over the last kind of 40 years or so. Um, this shift from sort of public um, industry with strong union presence to um, an economy that's essentially built on, you know, kind of care and service work. Um, and a lot of young people are concentrated in that, you know, hospitality care retail um, and and unions aren't concentrated in those um, industries so I think there's a huge kind of big picture question about unions um, needing to 
kind of make that leap to devoting resources to um, workplaces where they don't have members yet, um, which a lot are reluctant to do for obvious reasons. Um, my belief is that that kind of leap of faith and that um, investment of resource would, would pay off massively. Um, when I think when we're talking about precarious workers specifically, there are very obvious barriers there to, to unionizing. You know, one being that those people don't have um, strong workers rights to begin with so there isn't a lot to kind of um, protect or fight for um, although I think unions could be quite bold about that you know kind of advocating for worker status for for people in precarious jobs um, but the other is just in terms of the dynamics in those workplaces you know if you're working for um, an app for kind of Uber or Deliveroo um, you don't often know or see your co-workers um, you're working in a very atomized way um, you have no kind of headquarters you have no water cooler conversations you have no notice board um, to kind of be sending messages to each other um, and, and you're also working in an environment that is asking you to be competitive all the time you know people in precarious work and, and zero hours contracts are competing against each other for hours and shifts um, and, and livelihoods. Um, so there isn't so much incentive to to kind of unionize and work as a collective. So that, that's a huge barrier. But I think there are also that there are also opportunities there in that um, those conditions can create a sense of camaraderie because they are very hard conditions to be working in. So people can relate to one another. Um, and you know if, if you're not a if you're not a worker and you're not in a traditional union um, you can perhaps be a bit more creative about some of the tactics that you you choose to use um kind of to to fight for better conditions so i think we can we have to recognize that there are barriers um but we we can't let them kind of just seem insurmountable i think there are also opportunities there Exactly. And, uh, you know, my question here would be, actually, I have two questions uh, in regard to what you just said. I think it's very important, of course, to try and organize those workers, despite the fact that it's very difficult. And it's always, you know, the law and, and the regulations lagging behind the, you know, inventions. Uh, and uh, and I think that perhaps it makes sense for the unions to also consider not only organizing those specific workers, but also organizing those workers together with the customers of those services. Mm. Because I think this is something that could really be a new sort of leverage that the, you know, the catalyst, the owners, they don't expect that. And they, 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 uh, they kind of use the kind of artificial contradiction, okay, between the, those who delivered the service Mm. Or those who are the transmission transmission belt, so to say. I mean, those workers like an Uber or where, and, and and those who expect good service but cannot get it because the conditions are so precarious. And in fact, they, you know, they they often get angry at those who are you know the, the Uber drivers or those who deliver the the, the food or, or or whatever, right? And uh, and I'm just thinking that perhaps broadening the spectrum could really help out here. And, and, and everyone, and, and it could create a new sort of appeal. And, and that's my second question. What do you think would be the most appealing way? I mean, how do you actually approach those workers? Because, you know, going there and telling them like, you know, the unions and the organized labor, the, the institutional labor movement, so to say, used to do in the past, like, please join the union together, we can more and we can discuss and negotiate with your boss. And, you know, today your boss is not anywhere near to be found. It's like in Singapore or, you know, yeah. or, or somewhere in, in, you know, halfway around the world from where you're actually going to be, you know, doing all, any kind of grassroots works to organize those workers. Some of them don't speak the language of the country where they work. And there's, you know, multiple uh, 
problems, but they could be overcome. I'm just thinking that, you know, we need a new approach, a fresh approach and, and kind of, you know, uh, sort of uh, uh, open, yeah, as I said, broadening spectrum. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot in there. Um, so one is that I think when we're talking about young workers broadly, um, and I think probably particularly in precarious work, um, there's research in the UK that shows that, that one of the biggest barriers to um, young workers' participation in unions is that they have such low expectations of work to begin with. So they, they don't... Exactly, yeah. I think that's true. I think I think they there's no there's no understanding or acknowledgement that things could be better they just think that that is what work is you know it is it's just a fact of life that you your boss has all this control over you and you're constantly waiting for them to kind of phone you up and tell you when you're next working um, and there isn't a there isn't a vision of how that could look different um so that i think that's a big role that unions could play is is outlining how how things could look you know um differently and kind of raising those expectations of work um, I think as well on your point there that about low expectations of life that when we're talking about um, young workers and precarious workers who are more likely to you know be kind of um, from marginalized backgrounds for instance and more likely to perhaps have caring responsibilities things like that we're talking about a group of people who um, their main concern isn't always work sometimes it's about just um, you know kind of struggling to survive day to day. Sometimes it's about um, housing, insecure housing. Sometimes it's about very existential things around climate change and the, the kind of future, you know, being um, very unsure about what their future is going to look like. And so I think that, that unions have to be prepared to um, kind of make those cases too and to, to build alliances with um, community unions and community groups and other types of campaigning groups um, to kind of create a cohesive image of how life could be better for these people. So it's not just about, um, you know, kind of earning 20p more an hour. It's also about kind of um, answering those questions of insecure housing and um, climate crisis and all of these kinds of things, social security systems. Um, so I think I think there needs to be a more kind of cohesive um, vision from the union movement in, in collaboration with other types of um, social movements. Um, about kind of how the world how the world could change and not just your kind of individual world of work. Right, and let me let me just go to you, Pablo, because perhaps you could elaborate a little bit on what the unions are actually, particularly in public services, which is your natural environment, your background. Uh, could you just tell us a few words about how the labor movement is actually changing? Because I, I believe there, there's got to be campaigns, there's got to be effort, there's got to be all kinds of uh, you know ideas about how to reach out to those uh, to those people okay in the gig economy in this i i like to call it junk economy really because this is i feel this is a more accurate term well yes and i also would like to ask a, a question related to something that you've said before that um the public sector has a, a um a vision of the world by definition you, you have a vision that you know when you are born you need to be in a public hospital where people should be paid decently and a public hospital that should be respectful of the environment and, and the government should have some sort of rules for how things work there and that can go on throughout your life you know education primary education secondary education university for professional education and the rest of the uses that society makes of public service public transport public utilities water energy etc etc so the issue is that the, the the legislation over the last 50 years has made the public sector shrunk and has actually made the public sector be more 
market oriented and therefore the ethos that is behind is little by little disappearing uh, it's just gonna in that sense is just going to the care sector for instance i was watching before the pandemic the latest uh, ken loach film this uh, sorry we missed you in which there's this couple one works for a delivery company that basically exploits them so uh, like a poorer version of, of, of the liberal and the woman works as a carer. Something that the, the, the municipalities or the county councils used to do and now that has been outsourced and how is how the machine increases. So I think what um, we miss here and I want to make the bridge with my question is like if we think about it, I mean, objectively, we should put resources to actually unionize people to even if that doesn't pay off in the terms of the resources that organizations do put and how much money these people are earning and the increase of, uh, of subsidy organizations, but in the long run, and you know, uh, unions should think in like, not in that two or three years perspective, but in almost a generation perspective, uh, in the long run is an investment for the future, for the organization, for the individual workers and for the class. So going back, why do you think this is not being done massively? Why do you still think that if you have to uh, look individual unions in different countries, there is not this massive um, investment in this new generation of people of all sectors? I think um, to be really frank about it, I think that unions have been so kind of beaten down and um hollowed out by like anti-union legislation and the restructuring of the economy in the way that kind of i described and you've just picked up on there you know away from kind of industry um towards care and, and service um which you know it's important to point out was a, a very conscious effort in part because it was such a threat that kind of industry was well unionized so um you know that that was done by politicians because they they wanted to um create a, a, an economy in which workers didn't have um, as much power as that so so i think all of those kind of conditions that unions are operating in um are are really very difficult you know they um in the uk the in 2016 they brought in new trade union legislation which was kind of the, the biggest attack on unions since um margaret thatcher in the 80s and you know the, the kind of stipulations that that puts on unions in terms of the type of actions they can take um it's just brutal it's you know you can, you can hardly go on strike about anything it's so limited um so I think all of that, all of those conditions have led to a situation where a lot of unions, um, whether they kind of explicitly acknowledge it or not, um, are, are sort of managing their decline rather than um, in investing in the future, as you say, in this quite bold way. Um, and as I said, and as you've picked up on there, it's 100% my belief that, that making that leap um, would be a, a kind of bold, brave thing to do, but it would be one that would pay, pay off dividends. Um, but I think we are stuck in a place where unions are so kind of hamstrung by legislation, so under-resourced, um, you know, with very few resources and, and little money. Um, and also that there are a lot of people kind of still within those unions who have been around the whole time um, and are kind of invested in, in things being the way that they are. They're kind of invested in the status quo, not always consciously. I mean, sometimes consciously, but sometimes just because that's what they know and that's what they believe works. Um, so I suppose that's kind of why the, one of the points of the book is that 
young workers are in this unique position where um, they also kind of have to take a leap of faith and say, like, I want to join this movement that maybe right now um, isn't quite going to deliver for me immediately. But by joining it, I can be part of kind of making it something that does deliver in the longer term. Um, so, yeah, so I think there's, you know, operating well in what you just said is unfortunately not part of the popular culture and popular thinking and this is because there's been an offensive obviously on the political front which i totally agree with you or you know all the points that you made about you know the legislation the politicians the anti-trade union uh stance of the political class uh, all over the world pretty much or at least in the global north and uh and, and all, but, but what's particularly interesting in in uh in the opinion that you just um uh, <clears throat> you just made is the old members you know, the old members thinking, and this is a question to both of you, really, because uh, I believe that there's got to be a lot of people, particularly in Western Europe, in the trade unions, where you've got millions of people and huge traditions. You know, I'm, I'm based in Poland. I'm from East, I'm born in Bulgaria. I'm from Eastern Europe. We've got like, we also have a lot of problems, all right, but different kind of problems, but uh, with the labor movement and inside the labor movement. But, but what I, what I'm thinking is that there's got to be many people who are uh, you know, invested in this thinking about ethos, about struggle with, you know, miners and, and heavy industry workers, the front of it being very uh, um, uh, kind of mm, uh, uh, courageous and combatant and, and, you know, all those things that we know from the past, which have definitely built the the ethos and the culture of the labor movement but unfortunately as much as i'm for you know all kinds of strikes and demonstrations and 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 uh you know demonstrating union power and workers power i'm i'm afraid that this this is not something and we've spoken about it, not something necessarily appealing to uber drivers to uh it workers who have to work at home uh you know freelancers who i don't know translate and do all kinds of you know text or video edition at home or you know what have you right and and i'm thinking uh, that you know those who are the old members, the old guard, the old vanguards. Okay, they might feel a bit intimidated by that because everything is changing in their environment. And mm -hmm. I'd like to first go to you, Pablo, with this, and then to have you, uh, uh, Eve, elaborate. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm young enough not to know. <laughs> um, you can edit that afterwards. Uh, but, but I, th I think there is a there is a good uh, analogy here also with uh, I can bridge also to the other issue with women. Um, if if you take the union movement seventy five years ago, so like the very old guard, those are retired and the old leaders would have been young members at the time, and it was mostly men, and it was mostly mostly men dominated. So there were very many women in unions, uh, paying dues and like you had closed shop in some countries and so on. But there were very few women in leading positions. Very, very few women. I mean, uh, the first women trade union leader in Germany was uh, uh, was a friend of, uh, of Clara Zetkin and Rosa Luxemburg and he was elected in 1918 or something, so 100 years ago. Um, almost 100 years after the foundation of the first labor organizations. Um, and if you look today, there are some women but clearly, if you would take the leadership of most unions um, in many countries, those that do not have a very proactive policy, uh, and particularly those that are not so much elected, but like the second rank and the third rank in the leadership, you would find less and less women, particularly in sectors where women are overwhelming. Like if you take the health sector, you have a few women in the leadership, and then as you go down, 
you would find more and more women with less and less responsibility. And what we've seen in the last few years is an increase of women doing militant action. Uh, we have the, the first ever women's strike in Spain in 2018. We had uh, a similar thing in, uh, on the 8th of March, but a similar event in Switzerland on, on 2019. We have had partial uh, women's strike in different places. And that um, is also a change in the tide. It's like low pay women, mostly. Um, demanding um, equal pay, equal pay, equal treatment, uh, to close the gender pay gap, and so on. So there is scope for change, but it needs this change. I mean, those actors need to be actors in the change. They cannot, it just, it won't happen by the oligarch deciding to become young workers, because it cannot be. So they need to, in my opinion, this is very personal, they need to uh, do organizational changes for this change to happen. So uh, I don't know. Maybe if you've been uh, you followed another one of those examples, which was the, the women's checking in Glasgow, maybe you could also look at that, because most or many women, or no, most uh, would be, but many women are organized in the public sector and in this new uh, or new employment uh, niches that actually grew out of the industrialization so please yeah i think um i guess to 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 answer the original point about the kind of old, old guard of unions um i actually i think there is a lot of value in um that that kind of nostalgia about like minor strikes and um dockyard workers and all of that and actually in doing the research for this book quite a few people kind of young workers themselves sort of said to me you know, when we do um, quite militant actions, often it's it's these really old guys that turn up and support us in solidarity because they don't have much to lose anymore. You know, they're very secure, they're retired and they've paid off their mortgages. So they come along and they join in with like occupations and picket lines and stuff. Um, actually, where the barriers to change kind of seem to be um, from the people I've spoken to is that sort of middle management, like bureau bureaucracy level. Um, I don't know if that's specific to the UK, but I think UK unions have become increasingly um, kind of bureaucratic and um, just big and unwieldy. Um, and so I think I think that's kind of one of the, the barriers to change, um, maybe more than that kind of image of a, a white haired minor or whatever. Um, and then I think, yeah, on, on the kind of point about, um, you know, women's representation and women's organizing, um, I think it's right that, that women have always been in the, and other marginalized groups have always been in the labor movement. They've always been doing kind of great work, quite often the most kind of radical, bold work, but it's, it's very kind of rarely been allowed to be in the kind of core of, the, of union work. You know, it's often happening on the, the sidelines and kind of maybe begrudgingly people end up supporting it. Um, but mostly the story of kind of women's involvement in the labor movement through history has been um, of struggling against their workplace conditions and against the, the kind of interests sometimes of their fellow union members who um, don't have their best interests at heart. Um, and actually the, the Glasgow Women's Strike is, is kind of one example of that because, you know, their story of, of a decades long battle for equal pay, which they they kind of ostensibly achieved in 2018, a lot of that still being worked out. Um, their, their story is one of of the unions kind of um, letting them down initially, you know, in the, at the kind of beginning of that battle, um, because they 
some of the, some of the unions that the women were were members of um, signed up to this bonus scheme, which meant that men were being paid um, a lot more than their women counterparts, essentially. Um, so, you know, the, the unions are now on side with that, obviously, and it was them that kind of spearheaded and organised that that brilliant work. So, you know, they've, they've got there now. But um, yeah, their story is kind of not a, not a straightforward um, story of like inspiring unity is one of where the women themselves had to battle um kind of against um some some of their union's own interests as well um so yeah i think you know that's a, for me that's a one of the most important kind of ways that the movement needs to change and one of the most difficult because we're asking for real structural change there you know i'm, I'm looking for unions to to make that kind of um equality and liberation work that's happening on the margins um the, the core of, of union organizing and, and that's a, a big ask um but yeah you know hopefully kind of um some some unions are, are getting there um in, in the uk we we now have kind of women leading um most of the union congresses in the four nations um so yeah so there is there is change happening but it's it's a, it's a big kind of structural unwieldy question um which is is why it's so difficult all right, thank you very much. And for the end of the program, we've got like about two minutes left. Please, I'd like to ask you for some closing remarks. Pablo, you go first. Young workers, uh, traditional trade union organizations, where do we start? Well, I think that is the kind of thing that you start, you just need to get cracking. Um, uh, you just need to put resources, you need to, to do organizing work. Um, you need to be open to change because, I mean, one of the main things, no, but responsible of youth work for a few years is that um, sometimes uh, people need to do something by themselves and even if you know that this might not be the best thing you need to let these new members of the organization do it by themselves so they you know otherwise it's just a very paternalistic approach to to people which basically puts them off uh, so you need to be wise in your advices at the same time that you need to be open to let people do things that you well if you're in a minority and they want to do it in that way they learn and uh, trust needs to be built this is not something you can impose and it's this is generational trust so um, so i think it's an important element for the trade union movement to really um, open the hand to to groups that are less represented what they should be in the organization that that needs a lot of um not trying to think as this group thinks but just trying to understand what's the way of thinking okay and the last 40 seconds of the program uh go to you eve yeah i i agree with all of that i think the way that we win young members round is um devoting resources to the workplaces that they're in even if that feels a bit scary um, deep organizing and not just um, kind of turning up and offering them discounts on restaurants and stuff, but really getting them involved in organizing work and showing them what can happen when when you win um, and building this cohesive narrative about life in general and how it can be better and, and raising expectations of, of work and of life and of the future um, for young workers um, and the, the part that unions have to play in that, which I think is, is central. All right. Thank you, Eve, and thank you, Pablo, for this insightful and interesting conversation. And to our audience, watch out for the next episode of the EPSU podcast, which is coming soon. 
Thank you so much. Stay healthy and keep fighting.